Hi, I'm Lindsay Boomershine, brand manager of High Five Gear. H5G has thousands of designs to choose from and no hidden artwork fees. How awesome is that? Have your jersey tell your story. Order online at www.high5gear.com today. Add H5G into your wardrobe and show off your individuality. Use code ABOVE180 at checkout for $20 off any H5G style. Order today and enjoy highfivegear.com. Hey, bowlers, Bowling This Month is back. Bowling This Month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Hi, this is Parker Bone III, and you are listening to the Above180.com podcast with Tim Berg. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Matt McNeil. Matt is a four-time USBC Eagles winner, including three USBC Open Championships all-events titles. He's the only person to do that. Matt also is a member of the 2015 Wichita State Intercollegiate Bowling Championships team. So, Matt, Tim Berg here. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Tim, for having me. It's always a pleasure to be uh, be back on the show with you. Awesome. Well, I thought we would get you on. You just finished up bowling out in Syracuse, the Open Championships. So let's, I guess, let's begin with team. And again, feel free to divulge as much or as little as you'd like, or how much you'd like to to share with folks. But team event, would you say comparatively, it played similar to what things were in Vegas as far as what you would gather to be the length? Obviously, without knowing the actual pattern. Uh, I thought I thought they felt a, a smidge longer, um, but that could also be from the lane surface. Uh, the, the lane surface at the plaza inherently hooks a little more than I think the lane surface does at the convention center because it's newer. Um, so uh, I, I felt they played a, a little tighter, to be honest. Um, the it, it felt like the the transition from the end of the pattern where the pattern stopped was more defined this year, I thought. It just seemed like the ball really wanted to take off once it, once it exited the oil pattern. Um, it really felt like there was a pretty big cliff at, at the end of the pattern. Um, I think that's kind of typical of, of what we've been seeing the last uh, year or two. And um, I tell you what, that, that can make for some very challenging conditions. So, uh, you know, you got to be really prepared uh, to, to throw a lot of spares and make a lot of really good shots to, to score out there. Yeah, so taking a look at your team event, you had um, you had 619. Team-wise, you guys shot just uh, just a smidge under 3,000. Would you say your game plan worked as far as what you were planning, or once you got out there, was it a little different than what you thought, or did you have a, a, a big game plan going into the event? Well, we had a great, <laughs> we had a great plan. We just... Uh, failed to, to make enough good shots uh, as far as uh, we had two guys on the team that just had, you know, just 
horrendous date. They just they couldn't make a spare. They split every time. Um, they just couldn't they just couldn't get it off their hands well. And, and you know, as as bowlers, no matter what caliber you are, you know, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. Uh, you always hope that it's not during team event during uh, one of the biggest tournaments of the year. But you know what? Uh, it happens. That's athletics. So uh, we had two guys really just struggled to make good shots. Now, that being said, uh, we made the pocket very accessible. Uh, I, I thought our game plan was very good. Uh, I, I missed the pocket all of three times at three games, uh, and I felt really good about that. I, I, I think our game plan was great. We made the pocket accessible. We really quieted down uh, the, the middle part of the lane. We tamed it out. We stretched it front to back. I was, I was really happy with how we broke it down. Uh, I just couldn't find a way to get 10. I, 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 I left a lot of sevens, a lot of sixes, uh, two pocket seven tens, uh, on, you know, in between strikes. And so that was, that was a bit frustrating, but, uh, you know, hey, that's bowling. I've, I've been out there and had a lot of good things happen to me. And uh, sometimes you go out there and not so great things happen to you. That's, that's just kind of how the sport of bowling works. Do you think for the seven pins, was it a maybe a surface adjustment? Was it a hand slight hand adjustment that you had tried and then it was six pin? We went from, like, say, a flat seven to a six pin. Was it something like that, or was it um, – do you have anything you can attribute the, the lack of carry to, I guess? Or is it – like you said, maybe it just wasn't your day. Well, I mean, you know, seven pins are – you know, corner pins are caused by – for a reason. It's not just because, you know, maybe you didn't go to church last week or say your prayers before you go to bed. Um, my ball was just getting behind the head pin, and, and I couldn't. I couldn't get it back up the hill to uh, to face the pocket the right way. And the reason why it's so easy for your ball to get behind the head pin, uh, at least in my opinion, my humble opinion, is that uh, the way the lanes are dressed, uh, being uh, wanting to hook more closer to you and having more oil down lane, that forces you to open up your angles. And when your ball sees uh, the middle part of the lane toward the end of the lane pattern, it, it accelerates. It's like somebody kind of kicks it downhill. Um, but you can't keep it in front of you. So that's, that's the bugaboo is you find, you have to find a way to open up your angles, but still make the ball see the middle part of the lane, just the right way to not overhook, not underhook, still go through the pins the right way. I tell you what, it, I was using a lot of tricks. I, I, I've got a pretty extensive bag of tricks. I, you know, it was like, you try to just, you know, do a little something to make it face up a bit, bit sooner and six pins on you. You make a little move here. You wrap a seven. You make another little move. You 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 six pin again, or you wrap seven again. It's uh, it's, it's pretty frustrating event to say the least. I noticed, Matt, you had posted the uh, the the topography report for your pair for thirty five and thirty six, and and you made a comment about well, this explains a lot of things. What um, after you seen that? I, I'm guessing that wasn't released before you guys. Bold, is that correct? Did you you didn't see that beforehand? No, I mean I, I took a glance at it and I didn't really want to go in with preconceived notions. I just wanted to go in there with a clear mind, just try to make as many good shots as I can. But you know, kind of looking at uh, at the topography report, I mean, you know, but I think USBC did a really good job at trying to make sure. Uh, you know, the lanes for Delta championships are as flat as possible. Obviously, you're not going to get them uh, great 
I thought our team pair was pretty good. Um, I was I was a little less than thrilled with what I saw for uh, our single doubles pair, but you know that's that's what happens. I mean, you know, how many times do you go to Reno and you get a not so great pair? That happens. That's once again, that's all part of the tournament. You're gonna have uh, you're gonna have years where you get uh, you know a pair that that may uh, be a little better than the next one, and then you have a maybe have a year where you get a pair that's maybe not so good as the year before. And I think the biggest thing to focus on is that um, the USBC, I know, uh, does have the best intentions in mind. They try to make the tournament as fair as they, pos- as they possibly can. Just unfortunately, within the sport of bowling, uh, a lot of that stuff is really hard to... Uh, to maintain and keep equitable. It's just kind of the nature of the beast, if you will. And, uh, you know, that's just how it goes. So we just try to take it in stride, really not get angry about things you can't really control, and just focus on your shot making, enjoying the tournament with your friends, those types. Matt, there's been a lot of discussion over the past few weeks, and, and actually you're the first person I've had a chance to ask this and discuss this with with some of the new changes being implemented in Vegas for the Open Championship as far as who you can bowl with, et cetera, et cetera, the classification of bowlers, et cetera, et cetera. What was your initial thought when you saw that, when that came out? And then as someone who's bowled in college, that seems to be where some of the rub is as well, that college bowlers are being classified in a way that they maybe should not be, according to some folks. What is your thought? I guess let's first hit your initial reaction and then move on to the collegiate players and how you think they should be classified? Well, a couple ways to look at it. Uh, I take the stance that, you know, I'm, I'm a player and a customer and I'm going to bowl because I want to bowl. And if, if they say the rules are X, Y, Z, well, whether I like them or not, if I want to bowl, I have to adhere to the rules XYZ. So I, I kind of take that approach to it. I tend not to get worked up about a lot of things that, once again, are out of my control. Personally and ethically, morally, I guess, do I feel that it's proper to classify a collegiate uh, bowler as a professional? Probably not. I don't think I would classify a, a collegiate bowler as a professional, but that's just just my opinion. You know, it's uh, it's not like you know I'm out there making the big decision to uh, to keep the tournament running or to balance everything or try to grow the tournament. You know, I don't have any of those responsibilities to consider. So you know, I just get to you know, go to work every day and bowl, bowl occasionally and have an opinion about it. So I guess personally for me, um, when it, my morals say um, the collegiate bowler shouldn't be treated as professional, I would even go so far to say that I don't think junior Team USA members should be classified professionals until they're 60. But, uh, you know, once again, <laughs> That's my opinion. I'm not going to go out there and say um, that they're wrong to do it because, once again, I have the luxury of not 
having to, to balance all the things that I spoke of earlier. So for me, you know, I think, and for a lot of other bowlers, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to stand there only knowing one side of the argument and just say, well, this is, you know, this is an abomination, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and, and this is horrible, but at the end of the day, um, this tournament's been running for 115 years. People are making decisions, uh, right or wrong, to try to help it. And uh, we don't know. We, we don't know if it's going to work, and we don't know if it's, if it's not going to work. So um, I guess my, my message to folks would be to have a, a little patience, and let's just see what happens over the next year or two. And you know what? If it turns out to be a really bad thing and we lose a bunch of teams and we lose a bunch of good bowlers that we shouldn't be losing, well, hey, then we can you know, look back and say, well, this wasn't a very good decision. Um, you know, if it does work and team entries go up and uh, the tournament uh, grows and bowlers feel it's more equitable, well, then we can say, hey, you know, uh, this turned out to be a good deal, you know, regardless of the fact that some people can't bowl with their friends, some people had to break up their teams. Um, but I think, I think time will tell. I think there's just a little bigger picture to look at. And I, I think before jumping onto Facebook and, and these sorts of things, I think we just need to take a have a little patience and have a little perspective and and just kind of let it play out. So long-winded answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but a very you know what a very a good answer and a you know something you know I was talking to some of the junior team USA members and that was their kind of thought too is is look gosh I'm being classified the same as as some of these professionals and they they were kind of questioning some of the thoughts behind that. Now ultimately I think the whole thought behind the whole process is that the USBC is under the impression that these teams will not break, they'll break up, but then they will form other teams with other bowlers. Now, in your bowling team events where maybe you've had to break up in the past, whether it was for whatever reasons, for cap reasons, average reasons, blah, 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 have you seen that to be the case when you're bowling even just on, you know, where you've bowled throughout the years? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I think the, the good players who want to bowl the tournament are always going to bowl the tournament. Um, so if it helps us out, if it helps the tournament out to have us separate a little bit and, you know, maybe bowl with some other people that we haven't always bowled with, um, form a new team, uh, you know, change may be, uh, you know, inconvenient at times, but let's at least give it a shake before we condemn it, I guess, I guess would, would be that. And I don't want to be seen as, being a USBC sympathizer because of my status at the tournament or, or this, that, and the other thing. And I don't want to be seen as a, you know, as a hardline complainer who's staying down with USBC. Uh, what I would like to be seen as just a voice of, of logic and reason. And, and let's just see how this plays out. And if it's a bad deal, you know what? It's maybe it's one or two years in the 115 years the tournament's been running. So we, we go back in and we do the right thing and we repair it and life goes on. So 
I think I think that's really the the message I'd like to send out to everybody. Well, and it seems like if you get the rules too, too complicated, I know there's a lot of people, too, that have won PBA titles, you know, maybe in the 80s and 90s and 20-some years ago, and they say, well, wait a minute, now I'm being in the same, compared in the, and looped in the same group as Belmo and, and the people that are winning today on tour, but then what do you do? How many exclusions do you make the rule before people just, you know, you need a lawyer next to you to read your entry blank so you can fill things out? So there has to be some level of keeping things simple, but yet not excluding people. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, they, I think if you, you know, just from working the tournament and seeing uh, all the, you know, I worked the tournament in Reno in 2013 and I saw everybody vault the tournament. Um, that perspective greatly helps me in formulating opinions and ideas and, and, and things that, you know, is this good for the tournament? Is this bad for the tournament? Uh, to that extent, I'd say USBC has a really hard job in, saying this person can't bolt this person because of of this or this person should be allowed to bowl with this person but those two persons shouldn't be allowed to bowl with these other three persons you know our, our sport has is is so gray the the defining of you know amateur and professional is <laughs> that line is just so blurred these days it, i think it's really hard for the usbc to fairly determine that. And so they're making some efforts. If they turn out to be the wrong efforts, I hope we can go back and correct it. Um, if they turn out to be the right efforts, well then, Hey, they turned out to be right. And, you know, we had people who were inconvenienced, um, you know, so, I mean, like me personally, I could never bowl with uh, one of my mentors and best friends, Scott Cole. Uh, I could never bowl doubles with him. And, and, you know, me and Scott have bowled doubles uh, in the state of Minnesota here for a long time. And, you know, now I'd have to wait till he's 60. You know, could I could I be mad about that? Well, I could. But, uh, you know, I'd rather at least still have a tournament to bowl than, uh, than no tournament at all. Matt, I appreciate you sharing your insight on the Open Championships. There certainly is a lot of ways and a lot of different perspectives to look at things, so I appreciate you sharing your views. And if anyone, by the way, if you want to share your view, hey, shoot me an email, tim at above180.com. I'd love to have you on. You have a good opinion. You want to get things mixed up and you have something you want to share, please shoot me an email. We'll see if we can get you on a show. This is, like I said, the first time that I've had a chance to address this. We'll be addressing this more in the future. Matt, let's get back to the Open Championships in Syracuse. So what equipment did you bring with you, and what would you say is something that someone, if they're looking in that deviate Brunswick, a radical line should be in their bag when they head up to Syracuse. I would, I would strongly uh, suggest folks to drill up a, uh, a Brunswick Tenacity. Uh, it, it's our, uh, our high-end asymmetric uh, pearl ball. It is, that was probably the, the better, better matchup that I had on that lane surface. Uh, so just using the bigger core with the slightly weaker cover um, was, was the best matchup I had uh, a couple of our big cover, big core balls were okay. Um, they were not as good, um, but I'd highly recommend getting a black quantum, uh, getting a uh, Mago 35 Pearl, a tenacity, and I'd probably say a regular kingpin. Uh, my regular kingpin matched up pretty well on that, on that uh, lane surface. So 
Those four balls from the Brunswick line, I really liked the Katana Flash from the Radical line. I think that would be a good matchup there as well. Um, I'd just stay away from the really strong covers paired with the stronger blocks. I think that's kind of the no-no out there. But, um, you know, once again, that was just kind of what I saw. Before we go here, check out BowlingThisMonth.com. They are one of the Above180.com podcast sponsors. Bill and his team do a great job there with articles. Check them out on that website, Bowling's Best and Most Comprehensive Technical Resource. In fact, speaking of technical, they have a great piece right now on the USBC's bowling technology study. So Bill Semsrott himself did a great article breaking down some of the possible changes coming up with the bowling balls and the equipment regarding the USBC. So great article there. Check that out as well. Seeing lots of great stuff. Uh, ball reviews, of course, if you're heading to a tournament, check those out as well. And also the BTM tournament, which runs in conjunction with the USBC Open Championships. That's going to be in Syracuse. There it is in Syracuse. Make sure you check out all the information for the tournament is there. There's a great hotel rate for folks looking to bowl up there. Also, Rick Ramsey, his wife Gail up there right now running the tournament. So check that out as well. Again, all that information, everything you need, one place to go. It's bowlingthismonth.com. Also, please don't forget high5gear.com. They are the only jersey you're going to see me wearing out there. Hi, the number 5gear.com. In fact, if you watched me at City Tournament or you saw me at City Tournament, that's what I was looking sharp in, my high five jersey. Could have bowled a little better, but at least I look good on the lanes, right? So check that out. Hi, the number 5gear.com. Lots of great jerseys to choose from. You want to keep something a little more traditional like mine is, or you want to make it a little more flashy. You want to be like, say, a Kyle Troop or, or someone of that. You can make it as, as complex as you want. Thousands of designs. These jerseys, everything they do was designed by bowlers for bowlers. So they also have a, a great new practice line out there. So they have practice shirts, practice jerseys you can wear when you're practicing before you head out to your competition. Also, bowling pants, both for men and women. These were designed, again, by bowlers. So you, they're going to fit you the way you want pants to fit when you're bowling. We all know you need to be comfortable when you're bowling. Again, check all that out. Hi5gear.com. Hi5gear.com. Also, you're going to get $20 off when you use the code ABOVE180 at checkout. So make sure you remember that. All these great things to choose from, thousands of designs. Again, ABOVE180.com. Use that code in there at checkout. You'll get $20 off. Check out HighFiveGear.com today. Matt, well, the thing I started doing, and it seems to have worked okay, is I do something called the 10th, 11th, and 12th frame, just some kind of short, quick answers, uh, three of them. So we'll get right into those, and we'll have you on your way. So for the 10th frame, it's going to be the, the best place – you ate or drank, maybe just had a few drinks or something in Syracuse? Uh, uh, what, uh, we had dinner there at Delmonico's. Or Del, yeah, Delmonico's, I think it was. Yeah, it's great, uh, like Italian steak place. Uh, really good. I think it was like uh, about five minutes from the convention center. Really, really good food. Great service. Um, yeah, that was definitely our favorite. All right, 11th frame, your favorite bowling ball of all time. <laughs> Ooh, boy, that's a hard one. Um, I would say, oh boy, favorite ball of all time. Um, well, I'll say uh, probably the ball I drilled most the most of was the uh, I drilled four Brunswick Masterminds, the original Mastermind. I think that uh, since my time with Brunswick, uh, that would be my favorite. If I had to say all time, I think the ball that you had to pry out of my hand growing up was uh, the original Columbia Red Pulse. All right. And the 12th frame, 
The over-under, this was just set by yours truly here, the over-under on teams for Las Vegas next year, I said at 10,500. Over or under that in your opinion? Uh, I will say I'm going to – I don't mean to be a skeptic, but uh, I think I'm going to take the under. Under by just a little. Last year it was around 10,000 is what the number that we saw out there. So I was trying to keep it right around there. And, um, and that's where that number came from. So, Matt McNeil, I want to thank you for joining me here today. I know you, you've had some craziness on your flight and getting back in, so I appreciate you making 10 to 20 minutes here to chat and, and hopefully helping everyone out there and sharing your perspective on things and adding just a, a little bit of a different perspective on some of the new rule changes here coming up at the uh, Open Championships. Well, thanks for having me on the show as always, Tim.